We are concluding our series in Hebrews, Better Promises. I have thoroughly enjoyed this series. Uh, it is probably my favorite series that we've done so far. The title for today's message is May the God of Peace. In September of 1971, John Lennon released the song, Imagine. BMI named Imagine one of the 100 most performed songs of the 20th century. In 1999, it was ranked number 30 on the RIAA's list of the 365 songs of the century. It earned a Grammy Hall of Fame award, and it was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. If you go online, you can see many uh, lists that are out there of the top songs about peace. And this one is typically at the number one spot. But I have to say, it's a very shallow piece that John Lennon wrote about. Some of the lyrics. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. The peace that John Lennon and the world craves is a deeper longing than they even know. Even unbelievers can see that there's brokenness all around us. It's just that their answer for that brokenness is very different than ours. What Hebrews is showing us today, and has been showing us all along, is that there is something better, there's something greater than what our ways of striving, earning, working, all of these things could ever accomplish. And there's also a greater peace but it's only known through believing in Christ. Why don't we go ahead and read our passage for today. You can flip, if you have your Bibles, over to the last page of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Okay. <laughs> you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have been showing us through this book. Lord, we ask that this morning, even though we're in the, the closing remarks of this letter, we ask that you would continue to show us more about yourself, more about this awesome new covenant that we have with Jesus. Lord, speak to us this morning. And grant us ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today, if this music stand will hold, we're mostly going to focus on the first two verses that I read. This is the benediction of the letter. So I know you guys have been wanting to ask this question for all the years of Grace Life's existence. What is a benediction? We do it every week. Well, it's simply a pronouncement of blessing in a prayer for what? Benedictions are found at the end of many of the letters in the New Testament. 
and so we often close our worship gatherings with a reading of one of those benedictions. They're written to give assurance, comfort, and joy, and security to the church. One of the most common benedictions is actually found in the Old Testament. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This benediction was given by God to Moses to give to Aaron to bless the people of Israel with in worship. Another common benediction is from the book of Jude, verses 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What is the author of Hebrews blessing the reader with in his benediction here? Well, he packs this simple benediction, just two verses in our Bible. Um, He did not include those numbers when he wrote it, but uh, it's pretty short. But he's packing it with gospel promises that are just supercharged by grace. So let's unpack this benediction. God is the God of peace. Remove this before I trip. I have to like remove all tripping hazards because I hope you guys don't notice how many times I about fall on this stage, but it's, it's frequent. God is the God of peace. Now, peace in the English is a word that I don't feel really does justice to the biblical idea of peace. In the Old Testament, we have the Hebrew word shalom. This word doesn't just neatly translate into the English word peace. It really speaks of wholeness or harmony. Rabbi David Zaslow describes shalom as the radical union of opposites being united together. Adam sinned, and because of Adam, all of humanity has sinned. And so we are born in sin, as Romans 3 and Romans 5 bears out. But God is holy and perfect. He's love, but he's undefiled. He's described uh, throughout some of John's letters as being perfect light, where there's no darkness. But we are not that. So we are opposites, and we are brought into union. We are brought into wholeness. We are brought into harmony with God by what Jesus has done for us. Paul writes of this in the book of Hebrews, and though, or I'm sorry, Romans. Though Romans was written in the Greek, the idea of shalom remains. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Greek, the word that's translated peace is closely connected to the idea of shalom. In its most common usage, it refers to the state of goodwill between parties from which all blessings come for both land and for people, animals, all of the above. It's a state of wholeness for all things. It includes your family, it includes your property, it includes your animals your business. It's a state of wholeness. It's a state of peace. Flowing from God's favor. When you were justified by faith, you received this state of wholeness with God. 
And it flows from God's favor, which is His grace poured out on you, the believer. And because of Jesus, we now know God as the God of peace. That's our relationship to Him now. He is the God of peace, and His disposition towards those who have believed, you and I, is that of wholeness, unity, and harmony. And it's all because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So, the God of shalom, the God of peace, the God that bestows this gift of harmony, does it freely. And he does it based on Jesus and his work. And the author of Hebrews tells us this. He did so by bringing again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And this is simply the gospel given in prayer form. The author is blessing the people with this prayerful blessing, and in it he is giving them the gospel one more time. God restores shalom through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Though implied earlier in chapter 7, this is actually the only place in the letter to the Hebrews where the resurrection is explicitly mentioned. The author drives home the importance of the resurrection here. So we have a high priest who has sacrificed himself, but he lives. He goes on to say that our Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is our great and chief shepherd. Now Jesse spoke about leadership a little bit last week. Elders are called to shepherd the flock. The word pastor is derived from the word for shepherding. Elders shepherd or pastor the flock, but we do so under the great shepherd. He is our chief, our great shepherd. And we are all sheep under his care, including your elders. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus is described in Hebrews as our great shepherd. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He is the great and good shepherd. What an amazing title, great shepherd. You know, sheep are aimless and vulnerable creatures. And just so you're aware, we are sheep. We are aimless at times. We are vulnerable. But we have a great shepherd who will lose not one sheep. He laid down his life. He shed his own blood for his sheep. The author of Hebrews says that it was by the blood of the eternal covenant. All that the author has written before this, that we've been looking at these uh, many months, is loaded into this simple gospel truth, the blood of the eternal covenant. It was the one-time perfect sacrifice of Christ, the great shepherd, that inaugurated the new and eternal covenant. The author wrote earlier in this letter in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from the dead works, from dead works to serve the living God. So Jesus is the Savior, who on the basis of his death and resurrection leads his flock to eternal rest. Let's look at one of the best descriptions of the great shepherd in his work, and it's very familiar. Psalm 23. And let's really listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love how the English version of the Septuagint says this. He has nourished me by the water of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our great shepherd will lose no one. The promise that he's made to you is eternal. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your commitment or your passion, your dedication. It's based on the blood of the eternal covenant, the precious blood of Jesus. And goodness and mercy shall follow you and me. Why? Because we're living in shalom. We're living in God's peace and harmony. It's God's favor being poured on you and I, those who have believed. Let's continue on in this. Uh, This God of peace who did all of this in Jesus Christ is doing something in you as well. Verse 21 says that the God of peace will equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the writer is proclaiming in this benediction that the God of Shalom will equip you, the believer, with everything good that you may do his will and you'll please him. What is crucial for us to see here is that it is God who is working first. This should give us great confidence. The God of peace, who has resurrection power, is equipping you with what you need. He's empowering you to live. He's the master builder, and you are his workmanship. There's two things that we can draw from God's equipping and his working in us first, that God is the one who is empowering you to do his will and to do what is pleasing to him. When we see in scripture that God is empowering, uh, it is specifically the Holy Spirit who is doing the equipping and working. We see here in Hebrews and elsewhere that it's really the whole divine trinity at work, not only in your salvation, but also in your daily life. So God the Father has made you his because of what Jesus has done at the cross through the working of the Holy Spirit. 
he continues that throughout your life. The Holy Spirit equipping and empowering you to live for him. Where else do we see this? Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.29, I love this verse. For I toil, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in all of this, we see that we work. There are good works for us that he's called us to do. But though we work, Paul's emphasis is actually on the fact that the Christian life of obedience is only because God has been at work within you already, enabling that obedience. God produces within believers the power to act and to live. Even in this passage, Philippians 2.12, that we often um, maybe struggle with a little bit, notice Paul doesn't say that we work for our salvation. He says we work out our salvation. We work out what God has already worked in through Christ. The words fear and trembling have to do with reverence and awe over what God has done through Christ. The Greek expression here for fear and trembling doesn't mean that we are to tremble with fright. It means we are to consider all the awesome implications of what Christ has done. We are to be in awe of God and His power, His ability to conquer sin, His ability to work these things within you when you are completely helpless to do it yourself. And so again, yes, there is work for us. But the work for us is not in contributing to our salvation, nor is it earning God's favor or love. Rather, it is, in, it is living in light of the gospel, obeying God's commands to love God and to love his people. To love one another. Because God has already done the work of bringing you into shalom. Into relationship with the Father. Secondly, we see that what God works in us is everything good. This is the author's way of saying what Paul says in Romans 8, that God is working all things for our good. Let's read that, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Sinclair Ferguson said this, The point is not that everything is good. The point is that on the grand tapestry that God is weaving, he is weaving together the darkness and the light for the very good of those who love him. He will equip you with everything good. However mysterious, he will weave his gracious purposes together for your good. God is working in you. He's equipping you to obey because of what he has already done in you through Jesus Christ. And so he is working these things in you, but he's also working all the things that are happening around us for our good, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that's at work in you through 
uh, and through you, to bring glory to the name of Jesus. He enables you to love. He enables you to serve. He enables you to obey and to do God's will for his name's sake. I want to share with you this morning the story of Private Robert Hillman. He served in World War II. And in his story, we see a parallel to the confidence that we can have because our good Father has equipped us by the Spirit, through Christ, our great shepherd, with everything that we need. So why don't you watch the screen here for a couple minutes. I wanted to share one of the most remarkable stories from World War II. I'm not sure whether to call this a coincidence or divine intervention, but it occurred in the early hours of June 6, 1944, D-Day. It took place on board a C-47 military transport plane. It was a few minutes past midnight, and a private named Robert Hillman he was a member of the storied 101st Airborne Division, was making a last-minute check of his parachute and gear, as was customary for jumpers. I could only imagine the tension on this plane as these boys were about to jump into the most perilous conditions to begin the riskiest and most important battle of the war. They were being asked to secure bridgeheads and beach exits in advance of the main amphibious assault, and they knew casualties were going to be incredibly high. So there's Hillman fidgeting with his gear when a knowing smile creeps across his face. He notices that his parachute came from the Pioneer Parachute Company in Manchester, Connecticut, which happens to be his hometown. In fact, the plant is just miles from his home. Surely a good omen, he's thinking to himself. 30 seconds later, Hillman lets out an audible guffaw as he stares at his chute in disbelief. The sound of the semi-laugh must have added to the tension in the plane of anxious jumpers because an annoyed voice rang out, Hey, what gives? I know my parachute is going to work, Hillman sheepishly responded. A second, more incredulous voice rang out, How do you know that? And there was a pause. Well, my mother works at the Pioneer Parachute Company and her initials are on my chute. Well, his shoot did work. He survived the jump and lived to be 70 years old. I don't think that was mere coincidence. The confidence that Private Hillman had was because he knew that his mother had packed his parachute. His confidence was not in his ability to perform the jump but in the one who enabled him to do the jump. Brothers and sisters, what God commands you to do, he's already enabled you to do. That can give you rock-solid confidence. How do we apply this to our lives? A few let us instructions. Let us love God and love one another. Let us walk in light of this enabling grace that we've been given. Endless resources to love and serve and care for one another. Let's live on mission, knowing that we are equipped by God with what we need to proclaim the good news of forgiveness through Christ's death and resurrection to those who have not yet believed. Let's seek to live in shalom the wholeness and harmony that God has given to us by his grace. See, we already have peace with the Father, and you can rest in that. 
But let's seek then to live from that place of resting in God's peace to therefore live in peace with each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's actually another benediction that instructs us on this. You thought you were done with benedictions for the day. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Conflict will arise. That's pretty much a guarantee while we are on this side of eternity. We will at times sin against one another. And I'm talking about believers. When that happens, dissonance or a a tension, a lack of harmony enters into the shalom that we have with each other. And though we have the forgiveness with the father of our sin, there are consequences in our relationships when there is sin. And one of sin's consequences is a disruption of the shalom. It's a disruption of the peace that we have with one another. It brings discord to the body. And so if you've sinned against someone, if you've caused an offense, go to them, seek peace, ask for forgiveness. If you've been offended, seek to bring about peace through reconciliation and forgiveness. We've been equipped by grace to bring about the ministry of reconciliation and to seek restoration. And that's a ministry that actually is a calling for every single one of us in this room. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. And so, brothers and sisters, seek to live in the peace that God gives. And now we come to the end. We've seen so many wonderful things in this book. We've seen that Jesus is greater than all the earthly powers and authorities and principalities. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law itself. And he is the greater high priest. He is greater than the whole of the Levitical system. He is the greater sacrifice. And his sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice. Meaning it is never to be repeated again. And because of that sacrifice, we have a new and greater covenant. The new covenant is built on better promises. And we have all of that in Christ Jesus. What we have is better than what the saints of the Old Testament had. Though they looked forward to it, we have it. We have the new covenant. We have full forgiveness of sin. We have hope for life beyond this present age. And the author ends this letter this way in verses 22 through 25. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. He ends with an appeal. Essentially, he is saying, take heed of my words. Bear with my word of exhortation. He has given this word to both encourage and to lift up, but also to warn and to help. He is saying, don't go back to the old ways of the law. That's what he's been saying throughout this letter. Don't go back to those things. Even if persecution come, even if conflict arises, even if um, everything that you thought that this was uh, seems to be more difficult and challenging, don't turn back. 
Don't turn from grace to legalism. Don't mix any legalism with grace. Don't turn to ritual or your own strength. He then updates them on Brother Timothy, who apparently has been in prison and has now been released. He sends his greetings to the leaders and the saints. He sends greetings of those in Italy. And he concludes with this simple and powerful sentence. Grace be with all of you. The new covenant established by the blood of the great shepherd is all about grace. It's grace lavished out on us. Grace upon grace. Grace multiplied to you. It's grace unleashed. We are saved by grace. We work by grace. We endure to the end by grace. And we will fully enter into the very presence of Jesus. The fullness of shalom by grace. We have an unshakable covenant of grace by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace poured out on us. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant brought about by the blood of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the better things that you've given us, the better promises. Lord, we thank you for enabling us and equipping us to walk in the light of your ways and and in light of the gospel. Lord, you've given us not just a new heart and new life, but you've given us power to live for you. It's not our own strength. We don't have that power. We don't have that strength in and of ourselves, but you grant us so freely and lavishly everything that we need for life and godliness. Father, help us to not exchange that for our own um, workings and our own strivings and our own strength. Help us to rely on you to trust in in your strength and your power and your love for us. Lord, help us to remember the words of this letter that we've been studying together. That what we have in Christ is better. And it's lasting. We thank you for our great shepherd who watches over his sheep. We thank you that he will not lose one sheep. And we ask, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not yet know you, that they would hear your voice today. They would hear the voice of the great shepherd and they would know his voice. And that they would believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.